Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Squad Games Podcast. I'm Giacomo, and today we're going to share an interview we had with former podcast guest Chris Baki. Normally, my co-host Dakota would be here, but he's busy getting ready for the SEO Kill Team event this month and for the All Valley Team Tournament in November. You can find details about those in the show notes, so we're going to catch up on the next one. Anyways, with the intro out of the way, let's get on to the interview. All right, everybody. Thank you for coming into this interview. Today we have Chris Baki with us, and we're actually going to talk about Vet Guard. Chris, do you want to tell us something that you really like about the team? Uh, yeah, the one of the biggest things I like about it is their spirit, right? The idea that it's just a, a bunch of plucky uh, humans uh, out there in the 41st millennium trying to take on the, the monsters and demons and crazy aliens of the universe and somehow coming out on top. Yeah, you know, humankind is, is a wonderful thing whenever you play fantasy and sci-fi games. They're still doing it with all these other different beings that could be stronger. Yeah, absolutely. So Vetguard is the team that you took to LVO at the beginning of this year, and you placed third. Uh, how did you feel that uh, they performed at LVO this year? So at, at LVO, uh, it was my first uh, tournament for Kill Team 21, and I sort of had no idea what would happen. And uh, definitely, I met some great players and, you know, uh, sort of was reintroduced to some of the players that I had met at ACO last summer, which was my first Kill Team event ever. Uh, and I learned the uh, Warp Coven matchup at LVO. Um, and that was something that I played a lot during the event. I played them three out of my eight games there. And uh, but overall, the, the team played exactly as I had hoped it would. Um, I learned a whole lot about the game and ended up playing against some very, very good players near the end of the tournament uh, run there. And, uh, you know, had a great time. So you played Spain's ace. I know it sounds weird. His name's Ace. He's from Spain. Uh, and he also brought VetGuard. Correct. Um, we sort of knew going into it that it would be at some point we would meet each other. And, and sure enough, we did in the semifinals. And uh, that was, you know, one of the most stressful games of my life because, you know, it, it felt like playing against um, playing against a, a computer almost where, you know, every move you make, you sort of like know that you've opened yourself up to this one thing and you know the computer sees it and, and you know, he makes the counter move. Um, but one thing that was really, I think, interesting about our game that, that came out, and I talked to, to him and some of his uh, team about it after, was that we actually played VetGuard in sort of different ways and had different attitudes about the team, um, and which, which ended up uh, being really interesting in the game we played against each other because it was obviously a mirror match. And I still remember that, that game to this day. I was going to ask, because if you guys brought the same list, how, how different your, your lists were from each other. So the team comp that we had was actually really similar. And I think the only difference was in the confidant we, we took where um, the confidant is sort of the assistant sergeant um, or, you know, the sergeant to the lieutenant of the, of the leader. And his was a, had a pistol and a melee weapon and mine was a dedicated range version. Um, that sort of, you know, I think we had different sort of attitudes and approaches to, to hoard, uh, how we ran that model. But otherwise, our, our lists were virtually identical. Oh, that's interesting. It's also... I think that the, these guys are pretty versatile, so it's it's neat to see, even if you take the same list, how a player can really change up how they're played, which is that's interesting. And Ace, I believe, was first place at LVO, correct? He he was. He's an excellent player, and he earned his first place. Um, and he spent most of the year being a world champion for also equally good reasons. Um, great guy and excellent player. 
And you guys are very, very, very close in points uh, on ITC, but you are ranked number one, and I believe he's ranked number two. I'm just bringing that up. <laughs> Correct by the by the slimmest, I've never met him. Sure he's nice. by the slimmest of slim margins, <laughs> 919.09. Um, I was actually shocked when I saw that because I, you know, I wasn't sure where exactly the points are going to land, and I, I was at my friends at a at a bar in Atlantic City when that came out, and we were all just bursting out in laughter, and basically everyone was just making fun of me for like you know quote technically first place um so so that was so that was a, a good time um i believe he just placed first in a big event in spain so probably by the time this comes out he'll be back in first place he's a great player and he deserves the spot oh it's good I, i've heard really good things about him as well um uh speaking of uh lvo do you think that there are any new teams released since lvo that might pose a significant threat to guards dominance the short answer is absolutely. I think the meta has evolved absolutely night and day since LVO was ran. You know, LVO was just a very different time in how the game worked. That was even before that that first balanced data slate, I believe, that gave the elite teams that extra operative. I think that came out a little after. It was before the introduction of Void Dancer Troop, uh, before the re- the removal of the Crack Grenade spam. Uh, I think Vetguard are extremely unlikely to have the same kind of dominance that they had um, going into LVO this year. But they're also one of those teams that I think are in this sort of small club of teams that have a very high skill ceiling, right? And not all pilots will get those same results. And I think you can say the same about a few teams in that area like Novitiates and Pathfinders. Yeah, I, th- I think so. It's interesting because I always feel like in some of these tournaments, uh, it's almost like an underdog that you don't think is going to really pull for that can kind of almost dominate some settings here. It, it's like there's people who expect one team to win or do really, really well, and then they forget. And I feel like this is what happened at LVO this year. Was, yeah, it was the beginning of this year is that no one was really thinking of that guard. And here, you know, here are a couple of players who brought it in and really surprised a lot of people. It's funny you mentioned that because that was actually one of the reasons I specifically switched to VetGuard. Uh, when when the kill team was uh, released, you know, and early in the meta back October, November last year, at the time I saw the tier list floating around and it put VetGuard at like, you know, C tier, B tier right there with Compendium Guard. And I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, okay, well, this seems like a fun team to play with my friends. And my first few games I did okay. And then I sort of had this moment where I started having everything click together and synergizing, and I just started dominating. And I thought, wow, I must be just the best vet guard <laughs> player of all time, and I must have just cracked the code on something that no one else has. And I'm going to sneak them over to LVO. Surely no one else has realized this, and I'm going to do great. And it, it turns out that um, at least one other Spaniard had figured this out as well, <laughs> and uh, so I was certainly not the only one. Um, but I, I think I would be remiss to not, to not mention too. You know, there there are there were a few other people bringing bringing that guard as well. Um, not everyone had the same results, right? So it wasn't sort of that situation where this one team is dominating the meta and the top eight is all predominantly this one team, right? I think we had a healthy mm-hmm. mix of uh, faction showing up top eight back then. And over the course of this year, we've continually uh, seen in Kill Team Twenty One a healthy spread of teams hitting top eight, which is really really great for a healthy meta. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, moving on to just vet guard in general, uh, what what does the team look like to you? I mean, how many models make up this team? So the the team is uh, what they classically call a shooty horde team, and in vet guard's case, uh, you're running the team with 14 operatives, right? There's a way to run them with 10, but nobody's going to do that. You're always going to run the 14. You're going to take those four troopers, and back when I was playing them, you'd load them with a bunch of grenades. 
Uh, nowadays, you're only going to load them with a few grenades. Um, there's those still going to be some grenades out there. There's those grenades. Um, and a shooty horde is really strong because they're really good at playing the game of kill team, which is ironically about holding objectives, right? Not killing. Um, but they can also do it because they can project threats from afar. They have a lot of ways of tapping, you know, objectives and then taking a pot shot somewhere else. And that gives them so much flexibility in where you allocate your resources on the table and then what they're projecting the th their threats against. And I think that's what really takes Vetgar to this really high level of a skill ceiling is how many operatives you can do this with. And I'd say the same thing for Pathfinders. Yeah. What, what do you feel like is the most valuable operative you bring to this game? Like what, what is your favorite and most used? Definitely couldn't talk about MVPs for this team without talking about the spotter. The spotter is such a powerhouse for dominating the tempo of the game. What he does of uh, treating any target as engaged, um, outside of some very specific uh, specific exceptions of some teams like uh, with Gene Stealers or Boy Dancers, which prevent treating things with engage orders outright, the spotter is such a force for dominating the tempo of the game, and every single opponent you will play against has to be concerned about the spotter's existence. So what I found useful about the spotter is as I played more and more at LVO, I ended up using him less and less for the spotting ability, and I'd use more of the mortar barrage or moving, uh, giving him an extra AP and then having him move and do the same thing with his, uh, with his unwieldy blast. Uh, yes. This, the spotter is so utterly versatile and it's even good into uh like void dancers or i think it was harlequins back then you could like instead of just sitting back you just run them forward and do the same thing so it's pretty he's, he's a great model i would definitely agree with that yeah super awesome model that that barrage has caught a number of people off guard because that that's a silent weapon so you can have your spotter sitting somewhere and make an attack himself and if, if your opponent's sort of expecting to be able to delay out activations for a, this forcing that sniper spotter combo to activate, you can surprise them and, and go early with just the spotter. And this also allows you to play, you know, a lot of people talk up about the activation game and kill team. And one thing that Vetgar do really well, and the spotter plays into this, is letting you control how many activations you have. If you want your spotter to go and tap somebody to activate right after them to burn a daisy chain activation, you can do that. But if you don't want to, it's your choice. You can you can hold off and burn activations for longer. Same thing goes with the confidant and, and the confidant's directive ability. Absolutely. I always like to ask this question, but I feel like this might be a little silly for Vetguard. But what do you feel is the, the most uh, overrated operative? Uh, you know, I would say that the most overrated operative in my mind would probably be the plaster gunner. Uh, you know, the the Plasma is always great, right? I mean, it's hard to argue with being able to whip out AP2, um, being able to reroll those ones with the take aim, right? All that stuff is great. But I think sometimes discussions of the team get so bogged down over worrying about which weapon is going to get the most dice damage on a target or focusing so much on Plasma itself as this sort of end-all be-all um, that you really neglect a lot of really other part, uh, interesting parts of this toolbox that help the team succeed so well. And to be frank, in Kill Team, you know, most targets will go down with not too many hits, and over-focusing on the plasma, I, I think, definitely can be a mistake. I agree with that. Uh, a lot of times, if 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 I use my plasma as like a sacrificial pawn, and mine would, uh, if it if it lives to see turn three, then uh, I'm doing really well. <laughs> but uh, I have another question for you. What about your most um, underrated 
model. I have one, but I'd like to hear yours. I'm very interested to hear yours. Uh, there's, I guess there's two that come to mind. Uh, one is the Meltagunner. Uh, this is one that was sort of a sort of a, a niche pick alongside the Flamer that would, for me, get play um, where people weren't expecting. And there's definitely some plays you can set up um, knowing you get these 14 activations. You know, you always know that if you want the last activation, you got it. And having that in the tank with a Melta shot can be super strong, especially because of the team's movement bonuses it can get with plus one APL can throw around. And the other shout out I would have to give is just the Confidant. This model is so amazingly versatile with how you can kit it out. Um, the ability to, to do the directives, the ability to give orders if your leader's incapacitated. Uh, the Confidant is an is an auto-take for me for this team. I would never run it in any configuration without the Confidant. I agree wholeheartedly with both of those. Um, I've seen so many tier lists that rank the Meltagun not even having him on the roster. Um, and I think that's such a mistake because it doesn't matter what team you're playing into. If there's a Melta shot in the middle of the table, no one wants to go near that Melta shot at all ever uh i just find it too valuable not to actually have as just a purely board presence threat that's my personal opinion 100 percent, and i definitely gained a healthy respect for the flamer as well which some people can put in the auto uh never take category uh i ran the flamer a whole lot at lvo um, and that thing can melt some Zangors if you give it the chance. That's for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah. My I uh, I I ran when I was playing LVO. It was my very first time ever playing Vedgard, and I ran the same list every time. And I never took a Comsman. I took the four full gunners. I took the four hot shot uh, auxiliary guys. It's super standard. Uh, and uh, while I didn't perform as much with the Flamer, the Flamer definitely has its matches that it just utterly dominates or just also does the exact same thing the flamer uh the meltagun does just board presence and board domination yep absolutely uh so overall what makes this team different from other kill teams the number one difference is the size of this team's toolbox i mean this team truly has it all it has ranged threat projection if it needs to it has all sorts of toolbox operatives to you know, plant mines, shuffle around, uh, APL for orders. It's got a little bit of a melee threat in the leader. Um, you've got things where you've got a, a bunch of uh, war gear options for things like grenades. Uh, you're, you've got, of course, the medic, which I can't say enough how much I just love being an absolute cheesecake, uh, you know, bastard with that medic and just uh, <laughs> making these, um, you know, castles basically where um, I've got a sniper, I've got a spotter, and I've got a uh, medic all sitting up in a vantage point somewhere which is just borderline impossible to dislodge the team has so much as far as movement shenanigans you know ways to play the mission with just how many bodies they have i mean this this team has truly got it all um if you're willing to put in the time to learn it. i will say um I've only been playing this version of kill team for a few months now but when i did learn to play I play Warp Coven, and it was Dakota who taught me how to play Kill Team 2, and it was actually against Vetguard, and he used to do that to me all the time, and it was really, really hard and almost impossible to to break that that threesome up. Yeah, that the the, the Castle of Terror was was pretty rough, and just the ability to to have operatives that do a dash, then a move dash, and chucking a frag grenade, um, you know, or a crack grenade, depending on what their targets were. 
so hard to mitigate for the for almost all the teams in the game don't really have great answers to all the different varieties of threats that Bedgard can bring to the table. I almost feel like you're threatening me every time you bring up the crack grenades. I just I'm I have so much trauma from past vet card games. It's especially with that that GA two as well being able to GA two two men up the board and then being able to throw two grenades before your enemy can do anything. It's pretty pretty nasty. Absolutely. So Chris, I have another question for you. When it comes to guardsman orders, what do you find yourself taking most off? Great question. So yeah, this is this is another one where there's the easy answer, right? Which is the the elephant in the room, right? Take aim, right? Sitting there, you have, you know, just can cast it every turn. You get the reroll ones, right? That's all well and good and great. But I think something that a lot of people just overlook is the move, move, move order. Um, the ability to get that extra inch from the operatives. I mean, you know, one of my sayings, or maybe I didn't invent this, but you know, kill team can be a game of millimeters, right? Getting that just sliver you need for line of sight or just that little bit of extra distance to claim an objective or do whatever else and there was a fair number of times especially turning point one where i'm doing move 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 and not necessarily take aim uh there's definitely room for both uh and i I think those two are really the powerhouse pillars of the orders for this faction i don't think very many of the other orders really have a lot of play but those two especially move 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 um you know are really the the crux of the team I agree. I would say that uh, I only took. I usually only used move, 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 and I really might use take aim maybe once per game uh, if I absolutely have to. Because kill team, we all have to remember is a, mo- a game about movement and a game about uh, board control, right? So you want to be able to move, and you have so many bodies as Vedgard that it's just so it's so strong to to get that extra movement. Hundred percent. All right, another one for you. When it comes to strategic ploys, Dakota and I have always had this conversation about overcharge last guns, because he doesn't think it's always the greatest idea to overcharge, because you might kill yourself. What do you think? So I'm actually one of those uh, stodgy old purists who I didn't believe in overcharge last guns at all. Um, I never used it, <laughs> and I never used hotshot last guns. Um, so I'm probably the, the, the bad one to ask there. <laughs> Uh, as far as, as, as far as my strategic ploy though, my, the one that is near and dear to my heart and my favorite, um, was absolutely clear the line, uh, that ploy, the ability to auto retain a hit. I used so many times to be weirdly stronger in melee than I should be. And especially just way more reliable than I should be. Um, I got a massive amount of uh, benefit from clear the line, which is it's the, uh, strategic ploy where you just auto retain one dice in every fight you do for the turn. All right. I was thinking you were going to choose Into the Breach. Into the Breach is obviously quite good, right? I'm absolutely not the one to sit here and knock it and say that it's it's not, you know, a, a great ploy. I do think it's a little overrated, and I don't necessarily think you want to auto-take it every single game. And what I see a lot of players doing, um, especially newer vet guard players, is just basically it's an auto-punch, right? I'm going to just move pretty much everybody three inches forward. Um, but do remember that VetGuard is a ranged team, not a melee team, and you don't necessarily want to want or need to be that far forward on turn one. Turn one is so often just getting yourself in position and getting ready for setting up that power turn two. And because of that, a lot of your operatives are naturally going to be concealed and move dashing. How often do you really need that extra dash? Sometimes, of course, you do, but not always. I feel like uh, Into the Breach is a really good ploy if you are a defender. 
and you have to move all your guys before your enemy does. Like if he set up a few line of sights. And I also think that it's good um, if you are trying to bait an opponent for specific things. But other than that, I pretty much agree. Yeah, it, great point. It, it is a great poor man's version of the uh, those sort of redeploy um, abilities that Corsairs get, and I think one of the other factions gets. Um, absolutely. Then when it comes to tactical plays, what's your go-to? There's two that come to mind. Uh, one is obviously massively popular, and that's In-Death Atonement. Um, In-Death Atonement is the equivalent of only In-Death Does Duty End, but for Vet Guard. Uh, there's the key limitation around it is that you can only do it on a ready operative. And when you do it, um, when that ready operative dies, you basically are guaranteed to get that inactivation out of them so that they can do something. And at a high level, this ploy is really a crux of how the team's behaving turn to turn, especially turning point two onward. And th this is the number one thing where it's sort of like a mind game jockeying for when exactly you'll pop it, you know, who you're going to activate when. And you're often leaving a lot of power pieces ready and not activating them on purpose to sort of force your opponent to waste resources, killing a model that then gets to turn around and do stuff. Uh, playing around with In-Death Atonement and really maximizing its potential is huge for this team. Um, it's also a shout out to denying uh, Harlequins their ability to double dip um, when they charge and fight and kill an operative and expect to run off and, and shoot somebody else. Um, you can say no, mm -hmm. pop In-Death Atonement, mm -hmm. keep them locked in that fight. And I have done that so many times. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> the the funniest part is you don't have to activate the model you popped in Death Atonement for. So you could just activate somebody else and have them do something random and at the end of that activation, then the model dies. Um anyway. So you can yeah. uh basically have your cake and eat it too. The other one that I would be remiss to not mention though here is the ploy for uh I think inspiring leadership, I think it is, is the ability to have your leader issue another order. And there were a lot of times where I used move, 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 um, you know, in addition to take aim. And sometimes I would do it to give my leader an extra inch of movement later on in the game to move dash him onto an objective if I issued take aim for the team overall that turn. So many things you can do with that extra order. Yeah, it's super, super useful. And now we're going to talk about equipment here. Now, we already know that we can take multiple grenades. So what would be more of a an equipment take that you would take these days. So the cool thing about VetGuard is, yep, they had the grenades, they were awesome, but the team can, and I think has, survived the reduction of the number of grenades they can take because they still have a lot of great options out there of equipment they can take. Uh, one popular one that I myself never got too into, but I think had I stuck with the faction, I would have explored it more is the Hotshot Last Packs. Um, and the interesting thing about the Hotshot Last Packs is it allows your troopers and some of, some of your other operatives, like your medic and your comms, to hit different breakpoints and how many times they need to hit their targets to kill them, which is really, really strong because you go from on a seven wound model, you know, you only really need to land one hit crit instead of what, a, what could have been like four hits with an unupgraded last gun, right? Which, which makes a big difference. Uh, they also have the Rosary, which allows them to ignore a single uh, attack. Um, which is really, really powerful just because you can have that extra bit of durability on a key model. I've seen people put that on their leader, but I actually think it has some more value on operatives like the Demo or maybe a Meltagunner. Um, the Chronometer is uh, very strong um, situationally if you really need that leadership bid. Um, sort of my my saying in my local playgroup play is uh, kill team is about your turn two, right? And getting initiative for turn two is just so vital so much of the time. And the trench shovel, can't forget that, the ability to, to sort of give yourself, especially like a silent sniper, 
uh, cover wherever they want, usually on a vantage point, make themselves unshootable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one that I find that is underrated is the hand axe. Um, I originally was taking a lot of the hand axes into uh, narrative games just for fun, because why not just sprint at them and then kill people in close combat. Um, And I saw a surprisingly amount of success when my models actually got into close combat, because it actually made them useful in close combat rather than not useful at all. Uh, And I was able to, 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 to hurt quite a lot of space Marines and other gene stealers. In fact, my army is uh, based off of all of uh, action heroes. And uh, I had Chuck Norris fighting a gene stealer and he, he killed one in a turn and it was, it was amazing. Uh, That's awesome. it was, it was, it was <laughs> It was such a different way to play them. And I think that it definitely has viability. Um, Maybe not like maxing it, but it definitely has a surprise or a kick in the kick in the pants for somebody who's not who's not ready for a three five damage. So that's that's actually really interesting to bring that up because uh, that actually uh, I think tails into uh, one of the more recent factions that came out, which sort of does this natively, uh, and that's the blooded. And uh, you know the blooded are sort of like a like a hybrid of what if you had vet guard but melee, and uh, maybe maybe we'll talk about them at another point. Um, because that team sort of takes that to a logical extreme. Overall, uh, would you say this is an easier team to play? Like the learning curve's a little easier compared to other kill teams? I definitely think, uh, again, this team is a little on the on the harder side of teams to learn overall. Uh, I think generally going to get pretty bad results when you first pick up and play them. And I think that's a big reason why they were ranked so poorly on tier lists for a long time after Octarius dropped. Uh, they're not the hardest team to learn. Um, and they definitely don't rely on as many internal synergies as some of the other teams do at that sort of harder spectrum. Um, so they're you know not super easy to play, but they're not the hardest team in the play, uh, hardest team in the game to play. Um, so how many games? I, I I've asked you this before in other interviews, but how many games do you think you would need under your belt before wanting to take this to a tournament? I think with Vet Guard, you can be ready for a tournament at about just 10 to 15 games, really, is, is what you need to just learn the team, their fundamentals, and how they play. Uh, I think really the only way to take Vet Guard to that next level isn't just how many games you have, which you can do in your casual local group, um, but you actually have to play a bunch of different matchups. And until you learn how to play some of these specific matchups, um, it's not reps you need, it's variety of experiences. Um. I guess ending this on a, a personal question, is there a kill team that, as personal as we're going to get, um, is there a kill team team that you haven't played that, that, that you've, that, that's been on your list to do this year? Corsairs. Uh, I've long, long wanted to dip my toe into Corsairs, and I haven't, uh, I'd only recently finished painting them, and they're <laughs> on my list as a team I want to dive into. They just seem so fun with so many movement shenanigans. What color did you paint your Corsairs? What, I did uh, mine. Faction, Craft World. Uh, so, well, now you're going to get me on a on a super nitpicky point here. Uh, <laughs> so Corsairs shouldn't shouldn't technically really belong to a Craft World because they're technically Correct. a different organization. Um, mm-hmm. So I ended up painting them yellow, but intentionally wanting to make sure that they couldn't be mistaken for Craft World and So I did them with a, like a bright yellow, but then with a bright, you know, sort of like ice blue color to support them and definitely not a dark blue. Ended up really liking that color palette, but not wanting to mistake them for a Yandan. And that's that's my okay. lore nerd coming out. 
So they could still be under Prince Yariel, you know. Exactly. They could just be his little pirate dudes. Exactly. All right, bet. I like that. All right, Chris. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on to Squad Games once again. Uh, It's always a pleasure having you here. Uh, Thank you very much, brother. Thank you so much. It was uh, great uh, with you guys having me. It was awesome. Looking forward to the next one. Yeah, man. And for the last thing, is there anything that you want to shout out? Uh, I want to shout out to Kill Team Stream, uh, Kill Team Stream on Twitch. Uh, You'll find us streaming games on Friday nights, and we'll we'll also be streaming at the big events. So check it out. Sounds good, brother. Uh, We'll catch you on the next one. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys learned something about VetGuard from Mr. Chris Baki. And if you want to get more information just about Kill Team in general, you can join us on the Squad Games Discord, which you can find in our show notes. And if you're just looking to compete or want to see us live, we'll be at the SEO Kill Team event October 21st and 22nd this month. We're also going to be at the All Valley Team Tournament on November 5th and 6th. Event info for that can be found at lustersworkshop.com slash squadgames, as well as Kill Team Terrain, accessories, and more. And lastly, you can find me at wargaming underscore studios on Instagram to keep up with all the painting stuff that I do. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.